It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Sarah Kapolak, and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, has the Black Lives Matter movement changed anything in Ireland? In June 2020, thousands of young Irish people took to the streets of Dublin calling for an end to racial injustice. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! The protest was sparked by the recent murder of George Floyd, an unarmed black man, by the police officer Derek Chauvin in the US city of Minneapolis. We condemn the horrific acts of violence perpetrated on a daily basis by US law enforcement against black bodies. In the weeks that followed, black Irish people and Irish people of colour started speaking publicly about the racism that they had endured growing up, living and working in this country. I'm not sharing reliving my trauma for the fun of it. You need to make sure in your day-to-day lives that you call out racism. Nobody is going to spit in my face anymore, which I've had. You feel analysed and microscoped and and prodded and poked, even when on the best of days when people have great intentions. Seven months after the killing of George Floyd, the conversation around race made headlines in Ireland again when 27-year-old George Kencho was shot dead by Gardaí outside his home in Clonee in Dublin on the 30th of December 2020. Hundreds of people gathered in Blanchardstown calling for justice following his death. The news of George and Kencho's death brought up some familiar feelings for many of those who had taken part in the Black Lives Matter protests after the killing of George Floyd. It was like not again, and not not in Ireland of all of all places. Amanda Ade is one of the hosts of RTE's Black and Irish podcast. I think one of the main things people said last summer was, "Oh, thank God this doesn't happen in in Ireland." And then to see that was like kind of like a wake up call, I think, for a lot of people. In the immediate aftermath of George Floyd's death, Ade emerged as one of Ireland's leading young voices on race. In an impassioned video posted on her Instagram account, she shared her thoughts about the Black Lives Matter protests and the conversations they were sparking here in Ireland. The racism, it's something that black people face every day, no matter where you are on this planet. You face it on a daily basis. The 10-minute video quickly went viral. And I'm not saying that people go out intentionally trying to be racist, but there are a lot of things that have been programmed into people's subconscious or white people's subconscious that a lot of people don't realise when they are being racist sometimes. Amanda, I want to jump back to that time in June 2020 when you were involved in the protests in Dublin after the killing of George Floyd. Can you tell me how exactly you were feeling back then? 
that entire period, I think, was quite heavy for a lot of people, not even just, you know, for the black community. It's never, you know, an easy thing to watch somebody's death. But the main thing for me coming out of that was trying to still remain hopeful in the midst of everything. Because, you know, on social media, sometimes I think people forget that these are human beings. There's lives attached to this. It's not just, you know, another video. It's not just another another thing. And I think people become insensitive sometimes towards um, different topics. So I was seeing a lot of that on social media. I was seeing a lot of misunderstanding. I was seeing a lot of insensitivity towards why people were feeling a certain way. So on, on the day of the protest, um, that was the feeling I think that everybody felt. There was that sense of hope. There was something really powerful, even though something bad had obviously happened to bring everyone together. But the fact that so many different people from so many different backgrounds were now together in this one place because of the same cause, it kind of it gave a sense of like, okay, we can do this. We can move forward. And just seeing that like a visual representation of what or the kind of society we could have. It was it was really powerful for me personally. I think it was one of the like most defining points, I think, in my life. No, and I remember I was out covering it that day and there was an incredible atmosphere out. I mean, it didn't hurt that the weather was gorgeous, but it, there was an, incre- an incredible atmosphere that day. And I remember you you stood outside the embassy. You were one of a few people who spoke. Um, what do you remember about what you said and what you told people? Oh, completely unplanned, um, first of all. Yeah, it was kind of in the moment. One of the, one of the organisers was just like, I, know, I feel like you really need to say something. I was like, all right, cool. So I stood up. Can I see your fist in the air, please? But I don't know, I just remember feeling incredibly emotional. Like like I said, just like seeing that visual representation of a diverse, united Ireland. For me in that moment, it was like, okay, no, we actually need to strive for this. This could be our everyday. This could be our reality. Just the main thing for me was like unity. My phrase for last year was the the channel there's no strength that unity. So that was the, the main thing I was trying to get across. It's like there is no way we are ever going to overcome any kind of inequality we have in our society, whether it's racism, sexism, ableism, whatever it may be. We're not going to overcome any of that without unity. Like everyone needs to be involved. Everyone needs to do their little bit. And just trying to like bring people together on that level, I think was the main thing that I was trying to communicate. I remember <laughs> at other points... I don't know, some, something was just like, okay, let's sing a song together. And I was just like, okay, let's sing um, Ireland's Call. Because I don't know, I just really felt in that moment that like, there was a call that Ireland, Ireland need to answer. And that was the call of injustice that, that was, you know, that, that's happening in the society. And I was like, okay, we need to, we need to answer that call, essentially. Like we sing this song so lightly, but there's, there is a deeper meaning behind it. And it can be applied to so many things as well. So kind of calling people to action to be sensitive and to just love your neighbour, essentially. And what about the weeks and months that followed? I mean, you personally, your life changed quite a bit. I mean, you got involved with new projects. You appeared in the media quite a bit. Tell me a bit about last summer and what how your life changed. Yeah, it was just a flip of a switch. Like even social media wise, I went from, I think, just over a thousand followers to 10,000, over 10,000 in one week. So that was a lot of pressure initially because it just felt like so many eyes were now on me. Like initially, it was like, okay, yes, people are listening. Like the energy of everything from the protest and everything was enough to sustain a couple of weeks. But after a while, like when it just, it was go, 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 go. Very, very nearly burnt out. In in that time, the main thing for me was trying to recenter and go back to 
how I felt in that moment on that day and why like as much as I was calling people to action I had to remind myself okay you're also calling yourself to action essentially practice what you preach and do the work and put in the work as well like you can't expect that of other people if you're not willing to do that yourself so I think there's a lot of just focusing on the bigger picture I think essentially was kind of what brought me through that time until now because it's it's not it has been hundreds of years in the making like it's not gonna just change overnight like it's gonna take work it's gonna take effort and it's gonna take being intentional about all of that and to actually make any difference and I want to come back to that in a minute to talk about that kind of creating that difference in a in a sustainable way but firstly I want to ask you about the Black and Irish Instagram page which has evolved into a podcast as well tell me about setting that up and who you were involved with who was involved with it and how it became yeah, so that was set up by Leon Diop, um, Femi Bancoli and um, Bonnie O'Demine last summer. It was actually, we just celebrated our first anniversary there on the 3rd of June. So that was set up there last summer, just after the um, George Floyd murder. And it was basically a platform set up to share the stories, the experiences and just the struggles and successes of, of the Black Irish community. At the time, there was a lot of focus on kind of this, the Black experience of everything, but coming from like an American viewpoint or from a Black British view, viewpoint. And there was nothing really that related to the Black Irish community, because what we face here is very, very different. It looks very different to what people face overseas. So finding um, a channel for the Black Irish community to be able to share those stories and to be able to do things um, was, I think, the the driving factor behind the boys creating the Black Irish page. I came on that, I think it was last August. I had gone on um, on their Instagram live as a guest. And then a couple of weeks after they asked if I wanted to join the team, because essentially we were we were all trying to do the same thing. There's strength in, in numbers. So we just figured, you know, coming together would probably be the best option. So I joined the team. I think together we have been able to do a lot of things and kind of push the movement forward a bit more. Six months on or seven months on from um, George Floyd's death, we had our own incident here in Ireland with uh, George Nkencho, uh, the 27-year-old man who was shot dead by Gardaí outside his home in Cluny, and that was on December 30th, 2020. Um, it was just when the pandemic was kicking off again, everyone was at home, people were anxious anyway, and then this happened. How did that affect you? Yeah, um, that was another another difficult one because they kind of rehashed a lot of the same feelings that people had from the previous summer. Even the fact that his name was also George. Then again, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation surrounding what had happened and people kind of trying to kind of just trying to paint a picture without really knowing the, the full story or the full scope of things, I think again, was quite detrimental to a lot of the work that had been done um, over the last couple of months. I think we, in that time, we did take a, a couple of steps back and it kind of just caused a lot of friction, a lot of, a lot more tension between people within within the, the Irish community as a whole. So that time was, it was again, very, very difficult, I think. And how do you think in the months that have followed that conversation that was so optimistic last summer and then at the beginning of this year became quite dark and pessimistic in a way where are we now six months on again full year on how do you feel looking back on those two debts one international one national but both that impacted you and the people around you and this society so much I think for me it kind of exposed a lot of cracks and a lot of things that we needed to address here particularly I think just the perception that a lot of people in wider Irish society have of the Black Irish community. 
I think that really came to a light because there was a lot of doubt around it last summer when people were sharing their experiences and sharing their stories. A lot of doubt was cast on that. But I think the George and Kensho situation really brought all of, all of that to the forefront. But again, I think with, with, with anything, all the issues, they kind of need to come to the surface before we're really able to look at it at face value and address it and figure out the best plan of action to do that. So I think right now where we're at is all these things have been exposed and there's something to point to now and say, look, this this is what we're talking about. Um, something to kind of back it up. Again, it's awful that it has to be another man's death. But I think at that point, a lot of people were became aware of just how serious the issue actually is. It is an issue of life and death, essentially. Um, and unless we address it, the cycle is just going to continue. And I want to come back to that ra- that issue of racism and division in Irish society. But first, can we just talk about you again and your position over the last year? I think a lot of young people of colour would now see you almost as a leader, as a spokesperson and a role model that they can look up to, which is a wonderful position to be in and something I hope you're very proud of. But it must also, it places a burden on your shoulders. I mean, how does it feel holding that responsibility now, knowing that people are looking up to you for advice? Heavy. <laughs> Very heavy. Um, it, it is a responsibility and it has been a lot of pressure. But I think right now, or well, maybe not right now, but like in the last couple of months, for me personally, I've just really been trying to do a lot of internal work just to make sure I, I can be the best possible version of myself that I can be. Yes, that's pressure, but I feel like it's good pressure because it's pushing me to do better and be better because there are are people looking looking up to me kind of and if I don't do what I need to do to the best of my ability then I'm kind of hindering others so I, at the same time like I think there is a there's positives to it as well like it's not just some subtle doom and gloom like a lot of times when I'm having discussions with people and they're actually listening like it's good and it feels good that you know you're you are making a difference and there is change happening so yeah, it's it's give and take. And it's a fair to say it's kind of it's quite bittersweet what's happened in your life the past year in the sense that mm-hmm. you've been able to work on amazing projects and develop this profile that you didn't have before. But it has stemmed from someone's death. Yeah. Death and violence. Yeah. How does that feel? Mm-hmm. I think about it all the time. Honestly, I think about it all the time. It's such it's it's bittersweet. I think is just the best. It's the best description. Going back to the why behind everything. Um, that's just. That's all I can really do right now because we're, we are where we are right now. The past obviously has influenced the present, but now I think I need to kind of look to the future and how we can best shape that. So we all know about the horrible world that exists of online trolls. And I imagine you've probably faced some serious pushback online for the work that you've been doing over this past year. What levels has that reached for you and, and how are you dealing with it? There's been so much, so much trolling, particularly for me on Twitter. Like the cesspit of of society when it comes to trolling, it's it's a horrible place. It's gone as far as death threats. People, you know, resorting back to use racism. That's you know the the default. That's the go to. A lot of yeah, go back to your own country if Ireland is so horrible and and, and all of that. There has been a lot of negativity, but I think for each negative comment, there's ten or twenty positive ones. So I think focusing on that and realizing that, okay, the majority of these people even trolling and the majority of people saying these negative things are behind the fake accounts. 
I would have a lot more respect, I think, for someone that would come say to me if they actually had an issue. So um, I try not to really think about that or dwell on it too much. At certain points, it does affect you and it does get to you. But yeah, I just I have a strong network of support, of support at the moment. So. so there are some people in Ireland who don't think racism is a problem here in this country. Has that been your experience or do you think that has changed at all in the past 12 months? I want to say it has changed slightly. There is still that scepticism there. You know, the, the term snowflake gets thrown around quite a bit. And there is that, that attitude of, you know, just get over it, get on with it. But, you know, it's difficult to do that when this is a thing that affects almost, you know, every factor of your life. Just walking down the street, being on a bus, to the workplace, to education, to like, there's so many areas of our society that, you know, it kind of permeates into that we can't afford to just get over it or we can't afford to just forget about it and move on. I think how do we bring people around to that understanding? The only thing that we can do is keep the bridge open for conversations. And that's for people that are actually willing to have conversations and willing to understand. There are some people that are just, there's like, there's no help in them almost. People are, some people are just far gone. But I think always keeping keeping that door open urging people to also take on work themselves has been my, my major thing in the last few months in particular because I think there has been a certain responsibility placed on people within the black Irish community to be the ones doing the work and to be the ones educating and always you know putting in the work um in terms of eradicating racism racism in society I think people need to just understand that it it's going to take a collective effort and it's going to take a personal effort as well so personally like everyone being just conscious of how their actions affect others being conscious of the kind of information that they consume being conscious of those biases that are within themselves so the work or the task that we are faced with now is kind of programming being anti-racist or consciously being anti-racist into people's default setting which i think we are still quite a bit away from but again it's only been a year so it is going to take a lot more time than that and it's going to take a lot more work and a, a bit more pressure I think we've been a bit lax about it definitely need to start applying a bit more pressure particularly to certain you know certain people that have responsibility to to, to do work and to do some things within society thanks very much Amanda coming up assistant professor of law at Dublin City University Bashir Otukoya on why more needs to be done at a policy level to tackle racism in Ireland 2020. Was it around that time that you first spoke out publicly about racism here in Ireland or was this something you'd been doing before that? 
I'd written about my own experiences before. I wrote a paper in 2015 called I'm Irish, but the Irish don't know that I'm Irish, uh, where I basically talk about Irish identity. But it was my first time talking publicly about racism. And I was very careful not to even say that then. Um, I, I think I, I called it implicit racism, which is still the same thing. Uh, even now, I still don't consider myself a, a, an activist per se, but I am I am more active in this pursuit, uh, but only because of the position I'm in as a assistant professor, which is a it's a rel- relatively new phenomena for people of ethnic and migrant background to have somebody uh, in that position. So really, I take on the role just for representational sake and just to encourage others to be brave and courageous and, and to speak out about uh, what they see as important in their lives. Does it feel almost too much sometimes taking on that role? I mean, you have kind of become a role model for younger people of colour who might be in their late teens and early 20s or looking for someone to look up to. And you're there, as you say, you've done very well professionally and you are in a minority of people of colour who have done very well professionally in this country. What kind of pressure does that put on your own shoulders? It's a huge burden, one that I didn't expect, because obviously my only position, my my only aim is to to be employable, is to get a job. But in doing so, I I seem to have become a a role model, as you say, for these people. And and rightly so, because when I was growing up in in Ireland, I didn't see anybody in my position. I had no, and to a certain extent, I still don't have anybody to look up to, to to ask for advice uh, in terms of how do you get here? Even though I am successful, it does not make me immune from racism. You know, I, I still suffer it every day. It's the way I'm able to maneuver around it and come out stronger. And the way I showed that I'm able to come out stronger is by being visible um, and, and just to show people that, you know, this is a tough job, but somebody's got to do it and just to encourage more people to, to do it too. And I mean, one of the reasons why you have become such a role model for people is you appeared as a guest on the Tommy Tiernan show last year. And that was the first time a lot of people would have heard you speak. And you spoke um, really well about race in Ireland uh, during that interview. How big of a moment was that for you personally? Tommy Tiernan was kind of the bridge and gap when I was growing up in Ireland in secondary school. You know, that's how I kind of understood Irish culture through his kind of comedy, what an Irish man is. Now, my granny had a very casual relationship with reality. She was only tuned in once or twice a day. But you had to strike whenever the iron was hot. So whenever we reckoned she was tuned into planet Earth, we'd all have to sprint into the sitting room and go, Granny, where did you put the remote control? What I didn't expect was to kind of not lecture him on racism, but it turns out I did anyways, um, was to kind of talk about racism. And I kind of knew going in that that would have to be discussed anyways. And even if it didn't, I would have to discuss it because it's part of our identity. It's a part of our lives. So we can't um, not talk about it. You know, it was very well received. People now people are having that conversation. You know, um, it's part, you know, people are talking about racism, still uncomfortable talking about it, but at least, you know, um, some more people are being uh, courageous and talking about it. I mean, this podcast is, is a good example of that. And just, just having a chat, having a conversation, because these are things, concepts we don't understand. And the only way to understand it is to talk about it. And so appearing on Tommy Tiernan show really kind of boosted that uh, drive to continue engaging in these conversations. So it was a huge moment in my life because that's when I realized the importance of representation, uh, because a lot of people do reach out to me. Um, 
to thank me for representing their views. So, and that's amazing that people got in touch. That must have felt very good. And it, it, you've you've also appeared on other TV shows, but you've also written a lot, and you've written extremely well about issues on race. And you've written in the Irish Times for us and in other publications. And you wrote in the Irish Times after George and Ken Show died after he was shot by Gardaí in late December of last year. In the past year, have you ever had any doubts about speaking out or writing about these issues that are so emotive? It's a difficult task for me because I'm an academic lawyer. We're not supposed to be emotive. We're supposed to be logical and clear-minded. But it's very hard for people like me who are supposed to be neutral academic, but where our skin colour or our race is such a predominant factor in society that it's very, as I said, it's very hard not to talk about it. But I have to be careful in how I approach things because I don't want to lose friends. I don't want to cause discomfort. I don't want to cause awkwardness. It's my job, uh, essentially. You know, I don't have to talk about race. I have other interests. Um, but I feel because of my profession, because of my job, that is my duty. I've gained the education and now I have to pass on that knowledge. I always say, seek first to understand and then to be understood. I've understand things. And sometimes we just need to be clear about things, you know, call a spade a spade. You know, all this tiptoeing, oh, you can't say institutional racism, oh, you know, it doesn't exist yet, but it does. And so we need to confront it. We need to talk about it. It's not, I, I always say this and I hate repeating myself, but I think the message needs to be spread that it's not a crime to be a racist. It's, yes, it's uh, considered immoral, it's considered wrong. And really when you being called a racist, it's not an attack on your character. And I know people see it like that. That's why people say it's sensitive. It's almost as if we're defaming your character. But I see it as an opportunity to improve oneself or to, to reflect on what you've just been told. But now, since the Black Lives Matter movement, what I've been saying or advocating for is that now that we realize that racism is a thing that does exist and can exist in our country, what are we going to do about it? And people don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but that's the real issue. And that's what we need to talk about. Bashir, it's more than a year on now from the death of George Floyd. It's 12 months on this month since the protests uh, took to the streets of Irish cities, the Black Lives Matter protests. What impact has it had in this country? A great impact. And I'm glad it has. And so what has happened? Well, the anti-racism committee, for example, was set up uh, and I'm a part of that uh, anti-racism committee. And I'm glad to say, for example, the interim report has been uh, adopted by Roderick O'Gorman, the minister. You know, there's an action, national action plan against racism being developed and the consultation process is currently open. The hate crime legislation that's being proposed at the moment is still in the works. You know, there's huge ethnic minority recruitment drive throughout, as I say, in the private sector. I know the Gardaí are doing something similar. Those are all positive steps. But really what, what I'm advocating for is that this needs to be at a state level. You know, there's only so much that people can do. The fear is that, and it's a legitimate fear because, you know, all this uh, policy improvements, you know, the migrant integration program and things like that, while they're all being done, we need to see concrete action in order to gain that trust because we don't have that. This, I, sometimes I feel stupid uh, or embarrassed even sometimes because I'm like, you know, I'm not the first person to speak about racism. You know, many have come before me. What the hell happened to them? And what's going to happen to me? Probably nothing. I'll probably just, you know, say what I have to say. And then, you know, there'll probably be somebody else doing this after me. And, and that's that's the fear. Is this all just all talk and no action? There is a lot happening. But what I'm saying is that whilst it appear on paper to be a lot, it, in, in concrete, in reality, it's just not enough. Thanks very much, Bashir. 
In the News will be back on Wednesday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.